I need to get down here and push the pause before it starts playing music again uh, and get myself up in here and uh, trying to type a comment to Sister Fran. Don't think you have artificial intelligence. Fran is going to finish it up and say, I actually think it's quite your own. Uh, But anyway, just having some fun with you and uh, it's quite genuine. That's the word I was looking for and uh, genuine intelligence uh, that you have there. But uh, just have a little fun. And, uh, hey, we are in First Peter chapter 3, um, picking up at verse 8, and we'll seek to finish this chapter this morning. I think we'll be able to pull that off, perhaps. We'll see. Um, I think that is at least my plan here for this morning. So 
So uh, let's jump right into it here. It says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate, and humble. Now, remember the preceding verses. It's talking about husbands and wives. So uh, first he says, okay, those of you that are married, this is what you need to do. Uh, husbands, you should be this way. Wives, you should be this way. And now he is appealing to the whole body of believers, uh, encouraging them with how they're to believe now and how they're to live. I want to say to you that this very first verse, verse 8, is such an easy, easy, easy peasy verse to live, is it not? Living in harmony with the other people? Shoot, sometimes we can't even live in harmony with ourselves uh, personally, we have quandaries within ourselves sometimes. So the idea of living in harmony with one another uh, can be quite a tall order to to think about living in harmony with other people. It's something we have to work at. It's something we have to labor at. It's something we have to strive at. And it does not come easily. Sometimes the Lord allows there to be very difficult situations, very difficult people. Sometimes we are those difficult people. Let's just be honest. Uh, And yet we are called to live in harmony with one another. We are called to be sympathetic. Uh, Sympathetic, the idea of, of extending grace, the idea of extending Tenderness, the idea of extending patience, the idea of extending, uh, you know, empathy. Uh, Sympathy says, I feel for you. So it's the idea of feeling for other people. Empathy is, I feel with you. I've been there. I've had the experience. So the idea of being sympathetic towards somebody else is, I feel for you. And it goes on, and he says these words, love as brothers. Be compassionate, be humble. I think humility is one of the things that really gets in the way for us, does it not? I mean, I I think, uh, and the reason I say that humility uh, gets in the way for us is sometimes we're quite proud. Uh, Sometimes uh, we're conceited. Uh, Sometimes we're self-righteous. But if we would learn to be humble, if we would learn to be apologetic, if we would learn to own our weaknesses, if we would learn to own our failures, if we would learn to own when we've done someone wrong and and, and go and apologize, uh, if we would uh, defer to another person first and think about them and their situation, their circumstances, their needs, if we would be uh, humble in that way, then we would be living in the way that God wants us to live. Uh, we will put this into another translation here, but just just to look at the words again, you could circle them, live in harmony with one another. You can't live in harmony in isolation. Uh, we are called to live as a body. We are called to live as a people, and it ain't always easy. 
uh, other other people have uh, other views on issues. Other people have other ways that they want to approach a circumstance or a situation. We are called to live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Now, you know, I didn't grow up. My my closest sibling was ten years older than, than me. Uh, I don't know if she graduated. She was seventeen or eighteen. You know, but by the time I was eight, at least she was out of the house. She went off to New Jersey. Lived in somewhere in New Jersey. I remember her getting into her Volkswagen car and driving away and. She and another girl from high school did something, worked somewhere in New Jersey. I don't remember where that was. I think is anybody alive? My brother-in-law may know, but I don't think there's anybody alive because she is deceased. I remember what that was, um, but I remember her driving away. So I didn't grow up with, with brothers or sisters in the home. Uh, but some of you perhaps did. And to think about living, uh, loving as brothers, the idea is to love as family. To treat the people in the body of Christ as family. We are family, and that is how we are to love one another. Now, let's look at this in the NLT, uh, and then we will also look at this in the message. Uh, here it is. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other's brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted. Keep a humble attitude. Let's look at the message and see what it says. See if it gives us any further insights. Summing up, be agreeable. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes that can be a tall order. Being agreeable with each other. But we need to try to be agreeable, try to be humble, try to um, lay ourselves down for others. So be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. So, I mean, it, it doesn't say anything all that significantly different than what we read in the New International Standard Version, or not New International Standard, New International Version from 1984. How easy is this for you to do? Uh, are there people that uh, it's difficult to live in harmony with? Uh, are there people that it's hard to be compassionate toward? Uh, are there people that it's hard to be humble around? Are there people that it is hard to love for you, for me? Maybe I'm that person to pray and ask the Lord to help us to be compassionate and humble. Now, everybody has a story. Everybody has something going on in their lives, and uh, we need to be aware of that. Sometimes we'll look at the way a person is and say, well, they just need to get a job. I, I hear that so frequently. They just need to go get a job, you know, and not just take handouts from the government, blah, 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 blah. But we don't always know their circumstance. We don't always know the story. Uh, like some homeless people, we don't always know what, why are they homeless. Maybe they are so disillusioned with life, so dejected, so depressed, so far down in the dumps that they can't imagine themselves having any worth but to sleep on the streets. People can feel it. It's not like, well, they're thinking, well, 
there, here comes the person with means. I'm going to act this way to get the means. Now, yeah, there are some scammers like that. There, there are some people who uh, really live and act and, and skim off of other people's wealth uh, like that, uh, who stand on the street corners and hold up the sign. Yet there are people who stand on those street corners and or at those intersections hold up those signs, some of whom are very quite legit. We don't know what their circumstances are. We don't know what the circumstances of an older person might be. We don't know what the circumstances of that teenager might be. And we need to think, okay, I wonder what their story is. I wonder what's happened in their life that has pushed them to be the type of person that they are. Now, some people are jaded. Some people are cantankerous. Uh, maybe I'm cantankerous sometimes. We are called to live in harmony with each other, and God has put into the body of Christ various and sundry types of people, and we're called to love each and every one. And then he continues on and says, not only that, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So when someone treats you with an insult, Bless them. And this is just the opposite of the world system, of the world structure, of the way that the world around us would be. And the world around us would not say, do this. They'd say, you know, tit for tat. They they, they would say, uh, if someone does something to you, then you have every uh, reason to get back at them. But this is not the Christian way. This is not the way of Jesus. We need to figure out how to bless people. We need to figure out how to uh, encourage people. We need to figure out how to pray for people. In fact, I think what sets Christianity apart, and Jesus talks about this over in Matthew chapter 5, what sets Christianity apart isn't how we are with the people that we get along with. It's how we are with the people that we don't get along with. It's how we are with the cantankerous people. It's how we are with, with the people who insult us. It is how we are with our enemies. It is how we are with people who are painted with a different uh, with different colors. And I'm not talking racial colors. I'm talking with, there's a different ilk. There's a different value system about them. The question is not how we do with those with whom we share the likeness. The question is, how are we with whom we have great difference. How are we with our enemies? That is the question. That is what makes us different. Let me take you back. I'll take you back to Matthew so we can look at these verses uh, directly from the mouth of, of the Lord Jesus. Um, here we go. Jesus says this, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And and this is probably where where Peter gets his his thinking from, his own theology from, is his relationship with Jesus. Heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. 
someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Then he continues and says this. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Or or the sinful people might be another way of putting that. And if you greet only your brothers or only the people whom you like, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm going to put this in the New Living Translation. And uh, Let's see what it says. You've heard that the law says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I... Say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Yes, very very similar language. Uh, and then it goes on and says this, I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives us sunlight both to the good and the evil, it sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that for you? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But be perfect. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, this is a tall order. This isn't something that necessarily comes with great ease in some circumstances. Probably every one of us listening today, uh, or me, I'm not listening, I'm talking, could... um, Could say uh, there's someone that's difficult for me to do this with. Peter hearkens to his Savior and what he says, verse three, verse nine, chapter three, First Peter: Do not repay evil for evil. Do not retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, to pay them back with blessing. And as Fran has said in the comments, kill them with kindness. Absolutely. So that's what God has called you to do, and he'll grant you a blessing. Scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. I mean, try to find the peace in the relationship and work to maintain that peace. It says, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face away from those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? Now, in our day, I mean, the the fact could be that there would be people who would be eager to harm us for doing good. Uh, that, That absolutely could be the truth. I mean, we live in a day when people call evil good and good evil. And so if we do what is biblically good, if we do what, what is the righteous according to God's standard, excuse me, 
then we will have people in our day. In fact, so often we are now called bigots. We're called bigots because, you know, we we don't just uh, go along and do the things that uh, uh, that the world thinks we ought to do. Uh, we don't go along with the world system. Um, and, and so even in doing good, but how do we do? Rather than throwing names back at the other side, rather than castigating the other side, if we show kindness, as Fran has said, if we kill them with kindness, as it says right here, then we will win people over. That's what we need to do with people who are uh, so very much different than are we in their values in this era in which we live. Again, it says in the passage, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their prayers. We, What do we want? Is Do we want people attentive or do we want God to be attentive? I would think first we want God to be attentive to our prayers. I think that we would want to please the Lord. So we would do what the what it is that the Lord wants us to do. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, worship Christ as the Lord of your life. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Be ready all the time. Uh, Be ready all the time to give an answer of Christ. The NIV says this, uh, instead, in your hearts, in fact, I'll put this up here, verse 15, in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Worship Christ. Put Christ first. Let your life be such, verse 15, that people even ask you for why you have the hope. Even, Jessica, what you're sharing there in the response, in the comments, that at some point those very people would would ask you, why do you show me such kindness? That someone would say to you, why do you have such hope? Why do you have such joy? Why do you have such peace? You've heard me say numerous times, may Christ be so real in our lives that he just drips off of us and that people would eventually say, I want some of what you have. So we keep going. We keep setting Christ apart as Lord. We keep being prepared to give an answer. We keep doing what is right. And it says in verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. If we start to slander them back, if we start to say, negatives and nasties back, then we've lost the fight. But if we maintain a clear conscience, if we continue to say the right things, if we continue to do the right things, then they will be ashamed. Verse 17 says, It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Uh, He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, 
who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water, the, the water of the flood, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body. Not that at all. Um, but rather the the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It, it, this baptism represents that, that we're trying to walk with God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him, all things in submission to him. Now, it's very curious that Peter uses this uh, allusion, not ill allusion, but allusion, alluding to Noah. Uh, it's also very curious. He speaks to Jesus going and preaching the spirits in prison, and one of the questions people have is, who were those spirits in prison? Uh, was it those people who had died in the flood? Uh, was it the demons to whom he went and spoke? You know, it is believed that he went and preached to spirits in prison during that period between his death and his resurrection. To whom was he speaking? Uh, was he going and speaking to those spirits in prison and saying, you're getting your just recompense? Was he going and saying, okay, that this hell that you will suffer for eternity is exactly what you deserve? Well, when you tie it in with verse 20, when it speaks about he went and spe uh, preached to these spirits in prison who disobeyed, uh, it is likely that it is to the demons. It is likely that it is to those people who um, had found their eternal reward um, in this place. Yes, uh, actually a little literal spiritual prison. Uh, he's preaching to them. Uh, Many believe this is exactly where he's gone. And some would say, well, after he died, he went to the Father. Well, no, remember at the uh, at, at his appearance at the resurrection, he said, don't touch me yet. I have not yet gone to my Father. I mean, that's an indication that he was off on another mission uh, in his spirit, preaching to the spirits in prison. Uh, I don't believe that he was preaching to righteous people who had died and were waiting for the fulfillment of uh, the redemption. I think he went and preached because of, because of the language in verse 20 of those who disobeyed. I think he's preaching to the demonic forces. Uh, I think he is preaching to those who perished uh, with a lack of faith, who perished, perished in unrighteousness, who perished apart from hope in Christ. Even the Old Testament people held out hope. For Christ, they might not have known who Jesus would be, but with all the prophecies given in the Old Testament, those who held on to their faith held on to the fact that God would send a Redeemer. Now, it says in verses 21 and 22, let me cut back there. Uh, it says that Jesus Christ, who's God in heaven, is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers, 
uh, in submission to him. This is post-ascension. This is Jesus having gone to the Father to realize that, that this world one day, that the people of this world one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To realize that, that all spiritual forces are uh, in submission or will be in submission to him. They only do now what he allows them to do. He's given them some time. and But when he shows up in the clouds of glory at his second coming, uh, their time will come to an end. Their time of deceit, their time of delusion, their time of lies uh, will come to an end. Their time of, of tormenting the people of this earth will come to an end when Jesus comes in the clouds of glory at, not, not the rapture, but at his second coming, a different event, many believe, a different event, uh, and he will place all things under subjection to him. So what do you do when you suffer? You glorify God. What do you do when, when someone's nasty to you? You do good to them even when, when, when they get even angrier. Sometimes they get even angrier, as Jessica has talked about, because they know they're in the wrong. They know they're not doing the right thing. Because they're convicted of their sin, that's why sometimes they would turn and be angry in that way. Fran talks about, uh, I think, her, probably her, namesake here. She says, my aunt, uh, Sister Frances, was a wonderful example. She'd evangelized with strangers in prison. Much to many chagrin, many would say, they're getting what they deserve anyway. She said, but I'm certain she brought many souls, lost souls to Christ. I listened to a, uh, I listened to a podcast the other day talking about multiplication, and this one particular church uh, had a person that went to the prisons, and the prisoners began to multiply, and people were getting out of prison, were, were going off, demonstrating that their lives had, in fact, been transformed by Christ. And a number of them started churches. Quite amazing. God isn't looking for the strong. God's not looking for the intelligent. Uh, God is looking for the surrendered for those who, who are yielding their lives to him. And through those people, in fact, sometimes God uses the weak things of this world. Sometimes God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the strong, to confound the wise, and to demonstrate his own wisdom and his own power. Look it up. First Corinthians chapter 1 talks all about it. Well, friends, we have come to the end of our time this morning. I want to get you into your day. I want to encourage you to walk with Jesus in such a way that others smell Jesus on you, that others see Jesus in you, that others hear Jesus from you, that they taste and see from your life that the Lord is good. Lord, help us to live that way today, to bring you honor, to bring you praise, to bring you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great day, everyone.